You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Andrew Butt. He is CEO at Enable. We're going to talk to him about growing a business, the challenges that come with scaling, how to build teams, how to build culture. Andrew has been a very fortunate entrepreneur and has grown a business. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about the lessons learned and some of the things that other folks here listening to the program that are in that growth mode, struggling, grappling with those uh, growth challenges, hopefully can learn a little bit from Andrew and his experience. So with that, Andrew, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, and it's uh, great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you. So before we kind of get into the, the details of what's going on today and you know how some of the, the hurdles and things you've overcome, lessons learned, let's talk a little bit about backstory. What was your professional experience before founding Enable and, and before getting involved there? Give us a little bit of the context and uh, your personal history. Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So I kind of started my first company at a very young age. You know, my two passions in life were flying and computing. And so I had dreams as a child of being an airline pilot. Uh, nice. But I, I kind of got into programming when computers really started to be in schools and I guess in the, the late 90s and, and really got interested in, in programming. And I then combined my two interests by kind of uh, discovering a flying school. And uh, I went in and uh, met the owners and started helping out at the weekends with their computer systems. And that was kind of the start of my career. Uh, so I can talk more about that. But I, I really launched my first company while at school by combining those two two passions. I guess, what did you learn early in that experience? Because I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have these early kind of initial entrepreneurial experiences, and it really shapes them. Right? It, it teaches them teaches them a bunch of things. It may teach them some good things. It may teach them some bad things. But what do you think really kind of impressed you or, or what was impressed upon you in those early yeah. experiences as an entrepreneur? Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, I've always wanted to run before I could walk, and my, my parents were very supportive of me. But we, we came from a, a very sort of normal, you know, background, kind of, uh, you know, very working class or whatever you want to call it, I don't know how we'd call it in the US. And <laughs> what was fascinating with meeting this flying school is I was socializing with with people learning to fly, and they were all pretty successful business people, uh, successful entrepreneurs. And I sure. found that very, very inspiring. So I guess one one lesson was was really surrounding myself with, with people who had that positive mindset and people who were very ambitious and who were achieving things was was very important. And I, from an early age, really wanted to spend all of my time as much as I could possibly could with people like that and uh, absorb that kind of psyche. And what, um, I mean, I guess maybe what are some of the downsides? Like, what are some things that you learned then that you maybe had to unlearn later in your career? Yeah, um, well, 
I think uh, I'm very single-minded on work. So so I guess yeah. one of the dangers of being with people who are hugely ambitious is does does that just become the one dominating theme in 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 your life, you know, of, of work and building building a company. So I guess that could be that could be a negative, but it basically set me up and to go back to your earlier question of what was I doing before starting this business? Yeah. I was kind of providing services and helping with supporting people's computer systems, software systems right back then as like a, a kind of just a, a one-man band. Um, mm-hmm. And the people I met really provided kind of partnering opportunities to then go on and build more businesses and bigger businesses. So that's all I've ever done, really. I, I haven't had a, a kind of job you know, prior to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I always love people that kind of their first venture, their first kind of business experience has, you know, the service element to it. I mean, as you had to kind of go from being this kind of technical expert, you know, someone knew how the systems worked and how the computers worked, sort of to dealing with people that had problems. What were some of the challenges and what were some of the learnings of, you know, providing, t- turning what you could do into a service and then having to kind of grapple with that that people, client, customer element of the business? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think I, I realized quite early that I enjoyed working with customers so much. And so starting with that actual technical work of you know doing computer programming and providing services uh, but then but then becoming more customer facing and dealing with people i just found that very enjoyable very satisfying you know seeing people learn and to kind of start to understand concepts i just found that very satisfying so quite quickly i moved away from doing programming and you know actually actually doing the work and into those kind of customer facing roles so that was just something i discovered from an early early stage that i i like to do yeah, yeah. I was there's always that moment when you decide do you do you want to do the work or do you want to manage the work or do you want to yes. sell the work? Yes. <laughs> those are three those are very different roles. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So lead us up to Enable. How how did your journey go from those kind of beginnings to the sort of the founding of Enable and tell us the story there? Sure, sure. Yeah. So Enable I started with entrepreneur I met at the flying school again. So all leads uh-huh. roads lead back to that. And yeah. so a guy called Dennis Short who was running a very fast-growing distribution business and had kind of set it up himself and, and you know, funded it himself and uh, met him, you know, learning to fly. And we talked about some of the challenges in his business, which were all around IT and, and really systems to allow him to collaborate better with his suppliers, with his customers and kind of, you know, systems to underpin the business. And there was quite a lot of frustration and they'd had some bad experiences in their group. So I kind of said, well, look, I think I can help and started to help his company with various systems and software work. And that then led to him saying to me, look, I just think we can do this at scale. I think we can offer a much better service to our customers than what I've had from other software providers. So that actually was the start of Enable coming out of that experience. Yeah. I'm curious as you you know, considered sort of joining forces, what was it that, you know, appealed to you in terms of working with a partner, you know, finding this partner? What, what was interesting? How did it sort of complement? And how, I guess, how are you similar? And how are you different in terms of, sure. uh, you know, leaders and leadership styles? I'm, I'm always curious with partnerships and when people partner up early and how that plays out. What did you learn? Absolutely. Well, I think we had a very similar vision, uh, which was was of kind of you know, IT-enabled services and and providing a great service to customers and doing this in quite a kind of grounded way. Uh, so again, this is going back a few years where where a lot of software companies were 
their feet were just not on the ground at all. And yeah. uh, that's what we wanted to provide. But I, so that, I think, is where we were similar. And also, of course, our love of flying. <laughs> that was the other similarity. Uh-huh. But where we were, I think we were different is I really had some of the technical skills and could could understand you know, how to build a team of, of, say, software engineers and business analysts and this type of thing. And he was not so technically minded, but was a very successful business person and and kind of really understood how to run a business at scale, uh, had access to funding, which I didn't. So that was really how the two of us came together to create a, a great company. Yeah. Uh, and so tell us about kind of the story of Enabled, uh, you know, how have things grown? What have been some of the challenges? Give us a little color on how things have been going. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we started out as literally 100% custom services. That's how we we got started, where we would work with each customer one by one, understand their needs and pains, if you like, and then build software to meet their requirements. And and that kind of was steady and profitable and growing. And then we identified some common themes that were coming up time and time again, where customers, and a lot of these customers tended to be around the supply chain and around distribution, because that was the the space that that Dennis's company, DCS, was in. And so so that then kind of led us to think, let's we've got all these talented software engineers building software for other people. How about we build some of our own software? And so we went down that route and and got into kind of software as a service where we could we could kind of onboard customers onto more of a standard product, but then provide lots of services around the outside to help with the onboarding and to get people up and running and make sure they were fully supported. And that has led to, you know, sustained growth. We started in the UK and then we've kind of become pretty big in the US and Canada. And I've subsequently relocated to the US uh, to to pursue that. So I, I guess we've we've evolved from quite a local kind of company to to one which is on a much more international scale. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I, yeah, it's, it's curious because I've, I've seen a lot of service companies that you know have scaled or, or their kind of strategy for scaling has actually kind of think a little bit more like a product company, you know, try to productize some of their services and and standardize and, you know, automate to some extent, you know, whether it's, you know, actually writing code to automate these things or at least uh, standardizing the work process so you can basically hire, you know, less skilled labor at, you know, lower wages so that you can essentially provide the same service but at a lower cost basis. And I mean, I guess from your point of view, how... How did you discover these opportunities or, or what was your test or what was the process for identifying things that could be standardized, could be productized around the services you were providing? Yeah, we recognized that to build a scalable and sustainable business, we had to put processes in place. We had to provide and build kind of internal tools. And, um, you know, one of the things I always think about is for each role that we have, you know, what are the things we need those people to wake up worrying about in the morning and it needs to be Mm. quite specialized and quite specific and there needs to be you know many other thing is the question about is it is it having the the best people or the best processes to to be successful and i always say it's both (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) so so I i do think yeah we we have standardized as much as possible kind of what we want the teams to what what we want each of the teams to do you know what their effectively what their charter is and then, and then, you know, what is our methodology, and how, what is the enable kind of DNA and the enable methodology? So, going from say three or four of us a few years ago to now 130 people, we can kind of build on that and get consistency, you know, and across different time zones in different countries as well. Yeah. Anything you've learned in that process, because I always find that it can be a pretty hard pendulum swing, right? Like a company, early stage company, you know, everything's pretty much ad hoc. There's, you know, no real defined way of doing things. People just kind of get it done. There's, it's easy to communicate because there's not many people in the company. And then 
things start to get difficult, you know, you get a few dozen people and all of a sudden communication goes down, you know, the, the standardization is all over the place, quality is an issue, you know, everything's a one-off solution. But oftentimes I see a, a company just swing hard the other way and all of a sudden everything is massive SOPs and checklists and you can't do anything in the company without getting, you know, signing off and everything. I mean, how have you learned or what was your experience in kind of balancing the need for standardization and process versus still keeping things kind of agile and letting yeah. people kind of, you know, figure out the best way to do things down on the ground? I mean, what was that like for you? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, you know, one thing I should disclose very early is I had a, a guy who was my right-hand man from a very early stage who's who's around, around now as our chief operating officer. And mm -hmm. where I have always been the kind of outward-looking person, you know, talking to customers, talking to the market, uh, talking to investors, and uh, you know, dreaming of the next, <laughs> the next crazy idea. Mm -hmm. He, he yeah. is really the organizer, and really is, uh, you know, back in the days when there wasn't a pandemic, you know, I was out of the office, you know, twelve hours a day, and he was in the office twelve hours a day. But so a lot of that organization and defining those systems and processes really have been down to to him. This is a guy yeah. called David Hunt. Yeah. But I, I've learned a lot for sure in terms of where to draw the boundaries. And I think it's about having kind of quite tightly defined boxes in terms of what we need to do and what the boundaries are at each stage, but then allowing a, a real, real creativity within those boxes. So, you know, in other words, there are boundaries. It's not that you employ 130 individuals and they, they just do anything they want. <laughs> but, but equally, we're not prescribing literally instruction level kind of commands. You know, it's, it's very yeah. much this is the fundamental process and what we need to accomplish. We need to accomplish these things at these points. But actually, there is room for kind of personality and creativity and people to kind of really leverage their strengths at actually performing those, those tasks, if that yeah. makes sense. No, absolutely. As the CEO, and you declared yourself this, so I'm not, I'm not saying all CEOs like this, but you know, as a CEO who is full of ideas and constantly thinking of the next great thing, how do you, how do you manage the flow of information and, and particularly your relationship with your COO and other parts of the company to, you know, get excited and, and see opportunities and take advantage of the opportunities and push the company to, you know, innovate and to try new things, but also know that, you know, you can also be your the biggest challenge when it comes to running things efficiently and stuff and not not distracting the team or, or you know, not mucking up the things that are going well. How do you balance that? Like, do you have any rules or ideas for how, how you can prevent that from happening? Sure. I mean, I think I try to work kind of on the business, this metaphor of working on it rather than in it. So we've got very good people that are doing the day-to-day -day operations and, you know, delivering the software and, and, you know, delivering the services. And then I'm kind of more looking at, at um, what direction we should be going in in the future, you know, what more new things we could do in the future, but I'm not kind of interfering with the day-to-day -day actual delivery of, of the service. So I think that's one, one thing I would say. The other thing is we have got very clear goals and a very clear plan, you know, with milestones, you know, by date of, of what we need to do. So that kind of keeps me keeps me very focused as well and is a good test to make sure that you know my latest idea is not not kind of going to impact from you know the, <laughs> the goals that we know we have to achieve kind of like this quarter next quarter and the quarter after that yeah i have a, a friend of mine that calls ceos the chief monkey wrench thrower because <laughs> it yes. ends up being all well, these things that there, end up screwing is, up the plan yeah i mean there is a thing which says the role of a leader is to disrupt and cause chaos isn't it it's kind of uh, you know the, the man management is all about doing things efficiently and and doing things right and then the leader is there to say are we doing the right things and uh, kind of challenging the status quo so 
I think it's good to allow that kind of questioning and challenging. But I also agree it's important to have a level of protection, you know, to make sure that we're not actually disrupting you know, what we need to do today and tomorrow. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, having a plan and, you know, milestones in this. Any particular process or, or how have you found your own process in terms of creating those plans, updating those plans? Is there any kind of things that you've learned or habits or routines or discipline that you've been able to kind of put in place to make all that work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so I think we've got a, a kind of vision statement of where we want to be. And it's, it's almost one of these things where it's so big that we'll, we'll never quite get there, but it, it propels us towards, you know, to, towards kind of this big this big future that we envisage. That's that's kind of almost going out several years. And then we have kind of overall goals for the next 12 months, and, and that is just an annual planning process. But I think the most important part, to answer your question, is our quarterly plans. And because we're, we're growing quickly, I've kind of said, we need to achieve in a quarter what many companies are achieving in a year. So we need a quarterly plan. And we're following a methodology, of the kind of one, three, five methodology. So I say as CEO, what is the vision of where I want this organization to be by the end of, you know, Q2, for example, that's, that's the one part of it. Underneath that one vision, what are the three major goals that we need to accomplish in order for that vision to be realized? And then under each of those three goals, I've got five kind of kind of projects or five, you know, five kind of uh, tasks that need to be completed. So it's one vision, three goals and five tasks under each. And we do that on a quarterly basis. So I do it for the whole company with my, my uh, kind of direct team. And mm-hmm. then they each do it with their teams. So we literally have a 135 plan for every team for every quarter. And we've got into that kind of fairly religious cycle. Yeah, that kind of cascade down, you know, the alignment through the company by clarifying these goals and and the initiatives. Each one is just a one page. And it's great because we've got, say, six teams, for example. So we've got six pages and it's nice and simple, just short words, you know, not long paragraphs. And so everyone in the whole company can see for the current quarter and for the last quarter, for example, you know, what are those goals for those six teams and how are we doing against them? So it's quite simple and provides clarity. Yeah. And how the one thing I'm always kind of curious about in goal setting systems is how teams sort of collect data to set these goals in terms of what are you looking at to understand where is the company, where is the market, where is the competition, what are what's going on with customers? kind of orient yourself, you know, kind of situational awareness of things to better plan goals. Is there anything that you typically look at or, you know, data you collect or process you go through before you set those goals? Sure, sure. Yeah. So I think in terms of external inputs, then we've certainly got the usual suspects. So for example, talking to customers, Mm -hmm. uh, talking to prospects. And so that would be particularly important. Talking to the team. So we really are looking at team engagement, team feedback, team input on you know what we're doing right and uh, what we need to do better. But the other one for us, which is very relevant here, is market analysts. So we are talking with kind of analysts in the IT sector about what they see in the market. And that's a key input for us as well. You know, uh, what are our competitors doing? What's the kind of general categories of, of software and how are they evolving? You know, so when we look at that alongside customers and prospects, then that kind of is a good is a good compass to help us determine. And in some ways, more importantly, what are we not doing? You know, what, what's, yeah. what are we saying no to? Yeah, I would say that a, a really good strategy is one that 
gets very clear on all the things you're not going to do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and spec- specifies them very clearly. If anyone's caught doing any one of these things, you are not on strategy. Yes, absolutely. In terms of, I guess, the ambition of the goals that you're setting, do you feel like, I guess, how do you dial that in? Because I've seen some cases where leaders want to push their teams and, and want to be very ambitious. And I think there's, you know, there's very good reasons for doing that. But, you know, too far and either you start off with, you know, unrealistic expectations and people kind of know it up front and then it kind of deflates the team or along the way you realize that you're just not making nearly as much progress as you hoped. And so now you're kind of in a frustrating situation. But, you know, the reverse side is you don't want to sandbag things and just make these things softballs where, you know, the team can crush it without having to work very hard. Like, how have you kind of decided to kind of dial that in and find that sweet spot and, and how what's been your philosophy? Sure, sure. Yes, we've gone through different phases of growth. And I know we were chatting earlier and uh, talking yeah. about how I've kind of been used to bootstrapping and building businesses organically and you know making good profits and reinvesting profits. And it's kind of quite steady. And we then entered a phase last year where we were getting very focused on the types of products and services we wanted to provide. We got a clear vision for growth. We actually were seeing a good, strong growth rate and we wanted to become market leaders in what we were doing. And to do that, I knew we would need to raise some some um, equity investment. And so, so that's something we did last year. And with that does bring high expectations because, of course, the reason we've got investors is because they want to get return. <laughs> exactly. And I just think, yeah, you're kind of either growing or shrinking in a way. And, and we have to do this quickly because at the moment we are the market leader in what we do. And But if we don't, if we don't keep our foot on the gas, we, we will be overtaken. So coming back to your question, you know, the ambition level is very high. And I think that is not for everyone. I think it's really we're very kind of mission based and it's very exciting for people that we, we've got these goals and we're kind of on track to achieving these goals, but it is high pace and high energy and, you know, not, not like, a, just like a typical nine to five job. So it's been interesting for me to see this because, again, from the bootstrapping kind of background where we were a local company and it was much smaller and it was a different type of thing, really, to now seeing, you know, what this is like sure. going at a faster pace. Yeah. So I find that as companies grow on scale, they realize that the teams and individuals they start with are not always the teams and individuals they finish with. Yeah. I'm I'm curious as you've kind of gone through the growth process, how have you kind of evaluated, you know, the teams and the people that you have and, you know, to the extent you've run into cases where, hey, you know, this person or this group was great for this stage and getting us here, but as we think about the next stage, it's just not the right fit, not the right capabilities, maybe not the right kind of culture and thinking. How has that come up for you? How have you grappled with it? Give me a little insight. Sure. No, no, it's definitely been a very real, a real, very real topic. And, you know, we've always taken on very, very high caliber people with a great attitude. And often we've deliberately taken people on that don't have lots of experience. So, for example, we've recruited from some great universities and that's meant we've been able to mold people and train them, you know, develop them into our kind of way and they started with that attitude and that, that caliber to begin with so what that has meant is that there generally has been a place for everyone within the company as we've grown uh, you know is it because we they've, they've got the kind of they've got the kind of capacity and and uh, ability to do it but I think people have you know moved roles and changed positions and a lot of people have done that very willingly and have been very happy to do that. Uh, we've certainly been bringing in some expertise from the outside in this latest phase of growth. So if you imagine sure. previously, we were purely promoting from within and we still believe in that in a big way. So we're still promoting from within. But where before we kind of never brought in someone outside, we now recognize that to, to kind of hit the high notes, we do need to bring in 
people with previous experience and kind of merge that together, which is clearly one of my one of my jobs is to try and find <laughs> that happy hybrid of outside with prom- internally uh, promoted inside. And then, of course, it has it hasn't worked for everyone. So, I would say a couple of years ago, our to kind of team churn rate or turnover rate was yeah. very, very low. It was almost zero, kind of like nobody ever left. And that has increased. So it's still at a good level. But certainly, as we've kind of become more narrowly focused and to your point about saying no, you know, we've, we've been saying no to things and really getting increased focus hasn't been for everyone. And we, we have seen that increase in, in some people leaving the business. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, when I come in and work with companies and, you know, I'll sit down with them and they've They'll say, um, yeah, we went from, uh, you know, 25 people to, you know, 150 people in the last three years. And, you know, we only lost four people. And I actually start to question that Mm. (laughs) because if if you've changed your company that dramatically and you haven't had more transition than that, uh, you know, it, it probably means that you might be holding on to some folks that that maybe you shouldn't be based sure. on where the company needs now. And at the end of the day, it's not good for you. And at the end of the day, it's not good for them, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's they're hard decisions, uh, and and there's ones you can do in, in all sorts of different ways. But yeah, I do I do find that there is an expected churn or expected change, particularly I would say between you know from ten people to you know five hundred people like that. That the business changes dramatically several times during that period. Yes. And so you have to you have to expect that there's going to be some uh, some some shift. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in certain roles, we have changed things, you know, multiple times and, you know, people have come and gone multiple times. Yeah, and sure. then I think in other areas, it has actually been a lot more, a lot more stable and um, there's been, you know, less of a need to change. But completely agree with you that that change is important and uh, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work if we just tried to sort of work around the needs of people we have now and don't bring in people, you know, from the outside. Yeah. So then I'm curious for you personally, as you know, the company's grown and you know, you've been leading them through this process and have to, had to go through this yourself. What are some of the things you've had to learn and, and potentially things that you'd have to, you know, stop doing, you know, wait, wait, things that served you well in the early stages that are not going to serve you well now? And what are the things you've had to kind of replace them with? Give us a little insight as CEO, as leader here, your own kind of development and growth. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I am I am a bit of a control freak, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so for example, I do all my own email and all my own calendar appointments. That people, some people, are starting to kind of poke fun at me now as to why am I still doing this? And uh-huh. I literally have now got to the point where you know I cannot if I'm CC'd onto 250 messages a day, oh, yeah. I, f- I physically cannot look at those messages because it's just not not possible. And uh-huh. that those sorts of mental shifts of just recognizing that I I can't do all the things I did before. Uh, I think having great kind of leaders in the business who can take true ownership for things. Um, I think in the past, I wasn't a good delegator and I was at risk of delegating tasks rather than having people take full ownership for projects. And that's something I've definitely had to adapt to and, uh, you know, really use the methodology of of what are the things that only I can do. And if there are things I'm doing that, that whether I'm failing that test, you know, why am I doing them and how can I, how can I delegate them? And I think the other thing is as we get bigger and again, we raise this investment, we've now got a much formal board than we had before, you know, there's different stakeholders to manage. So I've kind of got my immediate kind of leadership team to kind of manage and and um, look after. I've then got the board and I'm obviously nicely wedged between the two there, <laughs> the board members and the leadership the hinge. team. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. then, then there's the wider team and am I communicating enough with the whole company and, you know, what are the needs and what's the feeling and the sentiment within the whole team? 
and and then you know also growing rapidly I mean, we've hired about 25 new people in the last 45 days for example so kind of thinking about about candidates and new people coming in and so so it's really trying to kind of move from being in a role where i was a, a very much a doer and doing very specific types of work into genuinely trying to you know orchestrate the company and and kind of manage those different sets of stakeholders that, that's been quite a big adjustment yeah i'm sure andrew this has been a pleasure if people want to find out more about you more about naval what's the best way to get that information well we've got a great uh, domain name which is just enable.com so if you go to there and and just click on linkedin you'll get my profile uh, through there and that's the best place just feel free to connect with me send me a message I'm always responsive on LinkedIn. And you check all your LinkedIn messages yourself? (laughs) I I do at the moment, but watch this space. That's probably not going to be sustainable forever. I'll make sure that the information is in the show notes. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Bruce, great to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.